Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about, time talking for about. Mortgage Matters. Well, good morning, everyone. Got uh, Dan and Mike. Is this the first time the three of us have ever done this together? It's possible. I believe it is. I think so. Thought I think we'd bring the full cast of characters to you this last live show of the year. Yeah, I think it is. And Jason Jason Van Dyke did what most reasonable people would do. <laughs> He's like, nah, it sounds like it's full. Yeah. <laughs> no, we could have put him over there in the traffic studio. Right. We could have gone over there yeah. again. No, no, he I he just, knew that was an option. Yeah, I, I feel he like made his choice. Uh, yeah, I think his thing was just why. Yeah, <laughs> would you be here if you didn't have to? Oh, that well, Saturday. I, you know. Yeah, I'm busy on that Saturday. Yeah. Sorry, mm. my throat feels scratchy. <laughs> well, Mike didn't. Mike didn't uh, even come close to balking at the opportunity to join us in here today. In fact, he may have even actually mentioned it first. Can I do it? About bringing <laughs> no, it was just about. I thought it was a family affair. Yeah, the last, the last episode of the year. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's a great time of year to reflect on what happened, but what's going to happen. And I mm-hmm. think you get one more <laughs> mind in here. Now you got a swing vote. Oh, there we go. Okay. We always talk about going back and listening to the end of the year show from previous years. See how close we were. Yeah. I have no idea how close we were. I feel like we always preface it with like, we're probably going to blow this, but here's what I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, think I, should right. I should isolate some clips in January, and we'll play them back the final show of next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd, be, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah. What, what is... Well, I have... I mean, we store all of these episodes on SoundCloud, mm-hmm. and they're linked to it from our website, so it wouldn't be very difficult to go back and play the December, whatever it was, last year's show, mm-hmm. and, and we could... We could probably pretty quickly scrub to the part where it tells you, you know, what the, what the picks are. Mm-hmm. Um, think about that a year ago. Dan just burned his tongue. You want to see if it still works to talk? It's good. It's good. Just a, <laughs> just a mild burn. A year ago, um, we were in between uh, the election and the inauguration, mm. and I think everybody was like kind of reeling from. At, no matter who you wanted to win, I think the result was shocking to the general market. Right? We saw that in the financial market. We saw that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mortgage interest rates were. That November 8th, what, three and five-eighths, three and three-quarters, am I right? Yep. Darn close, right? Yeah. In the in the wheelhouse. Healthy below four. 
right after the election, like within 30 days of the election, probably about this time or shortly thereafter, um, we saw interest rates going to like four and three eighths. So, yeah, about four and a half. I uh, feel four like four and a half peaked out in the early part of this year. Yeah, and yep. so now we're wrapping up the year where we've kind of declined ever since then. Basically, ever since the inauguration, I think we slowly kind of crept back down to about four. Right, we got under four there for a little bit. Yeah, touching under four. But basically back to middle, huh? Gave up two steps and got one back is mm-hmm. really what happened. So that's a, yeah, that's a box trot. What <laughs> a box trot? Yeah. It's a dance. Oh. Tell me more. Step, step, slide, back, back. Okay. It's a, it's a I dance. feel like I've heard of a fox trot. Did I say I think it I think it is <laughs> maybe it's a box step is a fox trot is the dance. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Did you go to dance class? <laughs> I I have I know how to ballroom dance. Oh wow! Whoa! In some in some dances, I can't as a leader. A talent I never I or never knew. The you problem had. is my wife is terrific at dancing, so it's difficult to lead if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Mm-hmm. You know, she she like knows exactly when I'm off. She, she spins you. And like she's stepping on your toes. <laughs> you just jump right into that, Dan, didn't you? She spins you. you. Yeah. She's like, okay, Mike, and now I'm going to dip you. Yeah. The dirty dancing move. You keep pitching finish. the softballs, Mike. Yeah. Back to rates. Yeah, how did we start talking about Mike's ability to ballroom dance? I think I, I, think I opened Two that. Two steps forward, one step back. Is that what I it just want to say, I just want to say real quick, too, because... Um, I mean, you can go to the website and get a look at all three of us if you feel like it, if you're daring. Um, but Mike is just, I mean, this guy, he's a, what doesn't Mike do? <laughs> I've got quite an array of talents. He can throw a football Oh yeah, like you just cannot believe. And I think it has something to do with those nine-inch fingers. Yeah, I was blessed um, with orangutan hands. <laughs> but And then not only is he... Uh, um, I mean, you have a, a college degree basically in insurance, right? Finance risk management, dual degree. That's what that is, right? Minor in accounting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this dude knows risk, risk management, finance, uh, was a quite successful insurance salesman before becoming a, a loan officer. And how long have you been doing that? This is your I, four- I'm, I started December of, of 14, so Whoa. getting into my fourth year now. Yeah, and now yeah, now here we ballroom dancer. Add that to the resume. Most notably known for my my genuine smile and ability to listen. But yes, I was gonna think it was like for your pleated slacks and argyle socks, which always that always impresses me. Yeah, we guys we <laughs> had our we had our Christmas party this week and. Um, I I dug into the closet to find if I had any of those um, the slick pants like you guys have mm-hmm. flat front. Flat yeah, front. but the material I'm talking like the ones uh, that yeah we call those um, dress pants or slacks slacks. Yeah. That's what Grandpa called them too. <laughs> um, I had two pair. You'd be happy to know both wow. of mine were out of date. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> still pressed, still pressed, still creased nicely yeah. down the side, and they yeah. were in one of those fancy hangers that, like, you clamp them from the bottom and hang them upside down. Mm-hmm. Right. My wife must have picked those up along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was about a quarter inch of dust on that the upwardly oh, yeah, yeah, exposed yeah, yeah. bottom yeah. of the pant leg. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then they were, so I took them off, you know, you brush that dust off. Here we go. We're going to a Christmas party. Sure. Uh, they have that nice little crease right down the middle of the leg. Mine were pleated in the front, which I know some people like, some people don't. That's both were the same. And then both of them had a, like a cuff sewn into the bottom of them, like a little leprechaun flip up on the bottom. And, uh, I threw them (laughs) both. <laughs> I threw them both away. So uh, I, if if you thought I owned um, slacks, you were partially right. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I do not. So, mm-hmm. um, but you looked great. I thought you looked great, Jay. Thanks. I think I'm going to get some of those fancy pants like you guys. Then I can go to the fancy pants parties. Hmm. Well, you'll get invited to more. That's for sure. You think so? Well, I think once you show up to one fancy pants party, why won't you be on the list for another one? <laughs> uh, I don't know. If you're still listening, this is Mortgage Matters, <laughs> and we're here on Saturday morning, last show of the year, three of us. There's well, not li- the last live show of the year. Last, last live, live show of the yeah, year. We do Thank have you, one coming up uh, the next two weekends. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I did. I did some note preparation. I don't see Dan's newsprint articles. You you brought your Kindle? Is that it's just an iPad? But I do I do I do like the way you started the show, Jay, because you know with what happened on Wednesday, with the Fed fund rates going up yet another quarter point, and Janet talking about the outlook of our economy for 2018, we saw the Fed's raise raise rates, the prime interest rate, not the mortgage rates three times last year and the 10 year treasury note is actually just about where it was at at the beginning of the year. In fact, in some days of this week, lower. Yeah. And I, I cannot tell you how many times people will call me existing borrowers that have closed recently and said, man, I'm so glad we closed last month because they raised the rates this month. Yeah. And you have to say, well, you know, sir, just for one second here, these are not correlated. But they are, but they're not. There's a there's an indirect relationship, right? But um, that's a that's an interesting thing. So, on just traditional mortgage rates, um, the simplest explanation I can give you is that these work in securities based on supply and demand. So, when there's good supply for the the rates that are being offered, that that might lower interest rates. When there's not very good demand for the rates that are being offered. You might have to have rates go up a little bit to find that that balance where the market wants to buy that kind of security. When the Fed sets interest rates like this, um, they're setting the the overnight rate, that target rate, right? This is the rate that banks loan each other money at, um, and they do so to try to influence monetary policy or economic growth. It's a uh, one of the tools, um, I think, actually surprisingly few tools the Fed has to try to have an impact on the economy. Um, but when they raise interest rates, it doesn't necessarily mean that all of your interest rates are going up. And most specifically, it doesn't mean that your mortgage interest rate is going up. Yeah, 100%. Um, Agreed, yeah. If you have lines of credit or credit cards or auto loans or anything that's tied to prime home equity lines that's going up immediately i mean yeah. and we do um we have some um lending facilities at work that operate based on prime and we got notified within uh an hour of the fed rate decision that it was hey this went up a quarter of a point thanks to this so here's your new deal 
Um, so everybody, if you have a home equity line of credit or anything that's just tied to the prime index, um, that that will affect you. But um, And also anyone in any other type of adjustable rate mortgage is likely to experience an increase at their next adjustment period um, because – Prime is just one of the many indices that a that a mortgage could be tied to. Another common one is a is a one year Treasury. There's a, a LIBOR, um, six month LIBOR. You know, so all those indices will likely rise. They share together. a relationship. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, and I think that's kind of the right way to think about it. Um, it's almost like a title thing, right? Um, as as the market sort of starts to push rates up, everything will kind of tend to go with it to some degree. And likewise, when it falls, they'll they'll fall together to some degree. And it's not it's not a perfectly predictable relationship, but there's definitely a relationship between it. Um, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why we always care and talk so much about the ten year bond. Correct. That Absolutely. if you if you just pull up bankrate dot com, if you're trying to track from day to day what's happening with interest rates and whether they're going up or down, because you're kind of trying to be a student of the market and get ready to move. We watch that bond yield. That most closely represents what happens with a thirty year fixed rate mortgage. As soon as you go, by the way, you try to pull up one of the mortgage backed securities tickers to watch what. What's going on within those coupons? That gets a little bit more confusing. All of a sudden, you need some basic definitions, a little bit of understanding to, under- to get an idea of what's happening in the coupon. It's really easy to look at the ten-year bond yield. Yeah, two point three eight, and then tomorrow it's two point four. That's a little upward pressure. If it opens at two point three eight and midday it's down to two point three five, hey, that suggests that you might be seeing interest rates get a little bit better. Several days in a row of that yield dropping a little bit, usually you're going to see the interest rates drop with it. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's so easy to track. It's really easy to understand. And um, so we try to get everybody sort of thinking in terms of that if you're one of the people that want to study the market a little bit. But um, now, you know, talk about this for a second. Um, when did we know the feds were going to raise rates this week? September. When did we know? Well, I mean, we knew on we knew there was Wednesday a... at eleven fifteen, but the markets anticipated it probably about six months ago. Yeah, I was going to say and, June, right? So, you know, I'm thinking about Mike's Mike's past client who's calling and and thanking him that you know, you know, feeling relieved that they closed a month prior. Well, really, the markets had anticipated this week's rate hike. Much earlier this year than than just a month ago. Yeah, that's where so we call it. It's already, already built in, in yeah. right? It's already priced in. We knew it was going to happen. It had a really high likelihood. Yeah. Now, um, if the if the Fed had come out with a decision other than a quarter point rate hike, if they had said no change at all, or if they had come out and said a half a point rate hike, then you would have seen some immediate market reaction. But what was expected occurred. So really, there wasn't much. I mean, did anyone feel anything on Wednesday? As a result of the Fed announcement, as far as rates go, did you did you see anything dramatic happen? No. I, In terms of pricing loans out that straddled right. that line, and I certainly had some transactions that weren't ready to lock. And to be honest with you, I wasn't even nervous about it. One of the things that I've learned about these Fed rate hikes lately is um, the anticipation is always greater than the deed. So we build it in, we get ready, everybody gets staged, oh, there's a rate hike coming, and there's kind of a scramble to get things locked and get things in place. And then it's, oh, you got a rate hike just like you thought you were going to get. Like I said, I mean, we've had like an 80% probability of this rate hike since about middle of the year. 
So it's if it caught you off guard, you weren't paying close attention at all. And then one of the things we found is shortly thereafter, um, the bond yield fell a little bit, and mortgage interest rates were basically the same, or maybe even slightly better. They improved no, they Thursday and Friday. Yeah, yeah, and so we saw half a half a point in fee better. The interesting thing is, um, you know, there's other data that's been coming out this week too. Um, and remember, the the Fed, though they just had their two day meeting and they made their announcement, um, many people don't realize that the the Federal Open Market Committee uh, publishes their calendar every year, and so you can um, you can be pretty confident in what the calendar looks like if you um, you know. And this is, by the way, this is how news agencies start kind of tracking the potential for this economic news. Um, they, they say, okay, you know, the feds meet in January, the feds meet in March, the feds will meet in, um, you know, kind of at whatever pace. And so we know when they're going to meet, we know, um, when those things are most likely to happen based on what's happened before. But this week we had, um, on the heels of a jobs report Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just to, refresh everybody's memory the jobs report was a strong one um about 10 percent higher than yeah the the median average of economists um economists i need to say that Mm -hmm. uh with a proper cadence first hour um, we were looking at um an average expectation of about one hundred and ninety-five thousand jobs uh we then learned that we added two hundred and twenty-eight thousand jobs so that was better than expectations um, the fly in the ointment with the jobs report was really the hour, the average hourly earnings were, um, not very good. Plus 0.2%. We were expecting, uh, plus 0.3. So our average hourly earning, not quite keeping up the unemployment rate held its 17 year low at 4.1%. Um, Dan probably clipped this, but I'll... You're talking last week's news, man. I know, but this is relevant <laughs> because this takes us right into the Fed meeting. All right. Um, then this week, I'll, I'll move on from that if you feel like uh, everybody knows it and well, it's not I, worth dwelling on. I just spent a, a show last week talking about that. Producer <laughs> price index came out this week, mm-hmm. um, much hotter than expected. And that leads you into the consumer price index, which likewise came out this week. Um, the morning of the Fed rate decision. Mm-hmm. So uh, the consumer number was weak and, you know, made people think that, hey, well, if the Feds aren't like concrete in their raising rates resolution, this might be enough to knock them off. Because that's, of all of the things that this rate up and down is is most closely going to um, influence inflation, right? Sure. Yep. I mean, that's ultimately what it's for. That's the counter move. Slow down money in motion. Yep. So you're if if a lot of money's moving with a lot of ease and it's causing rapid inflation, the way you cool it off is by raising interest rates. Mm-hmm. So we've had this stubbornly low inflation for years that we just can't get up. And all of a sudden, um, it's finally starting to stir a little bit and we're raising rates ahead of it. Um, so... Anyhow, and in theory, that's really the duty of the Feds. I yeah, mean, that's their fiduciary responsibility. And what's so fascinating to me right now is that they believe that next year we'll, we should see a one point nine percent rate of inflation. And you know, I feel like 
that's going to be very, very important to watch and how GDP does in Q1 and Q2. Well, the Fed's yeah. upped their GDP estimates um, for what they're expecting out of the economy next year. Um, so we're looking at the um, 2018 total GDP is is now revised upward from 2.1 to 2.5%. So mm-hmm. that's a nice little pop, basically saying we see things getting hotter. Um, the other thing just of note, um, nine voting members in this rate decision, it was seven to two to hike rates. So... Um, it wasn't unanimous. There was two people in there who were saying, no, nah, you're moving too swiftly, probably. I mean, I don't know what they said. Those but. those two people, in fact, off of your comment regarding that velocity of money impacting inflation, those two members really highlighted their skepticism of potential inflation increases. You know, they they don't see in particular wages growing substantially, even with the low level of unemployment, they don't see that impacting wages in a meaningful way, which would cause that wage inflation push is how it was described. Which so, is the volume of money. Right. So the and, faucet's not open. Right. And that and that's you know, it's a frustrating thing. Very frustrating. That we have low unemployment, yet we're not seeing that wage growth and it's not leading to that inflation, which, you know, for the longest time as we were recovering from this whole economic downturn it was all about jobs and and housing and those things recovered yeah um but then it's lately the last several years it's been all about inflation and we cannot get to the target inflation range that the fed wants and it has a lot to do with this wage issue what's i agree but what's funny with that comment is we're still seeing values bump up not only in the real estate market but in portfolios. I mean, people are the getting- The stock market's up 30%. Values are huge. And so the question would be, well, what? how, do, how does that just create itself? How does, a well, mar- how does a value just compound that quickly? Okay. So we have very different markets here. We've got real estate, which is just short supply. So there, there's where you've got sure. the Let's inflation in down. real estate, right? Dan's got the chalk. He's with on the, the board. With well, the, and don't, and, before you move on from the short supply comment, let's also talk about the fact that we created tremendous borrowing power and affordability by offering, I mean, how much of the U.S. population now has a sub 4% 30-year sure. fixed? There's your that's money. That's creating, I mean, in, in the last real estate bubble, it was a false affordability that created everybody's speculative buy of things that they really weren't prepared to handle. Today, we're all in these fixed rate instruments that are at historically low prices, creating an affordability that's really never before been present, at least not in such a, a firm and real way. Right. Right. right? So that's, that's another big part of it. Yes, there's short supply. I can argue that's the compounding um, attribute to this, whereas that that affordability is one of the things that have caused a lot of people to say, hey, wait, I, I need in on that because – that's the same or whatever. That's what I was paying in rent. And now right. I'm able to save for tomorrow. In the in the equities markets, you have infl- quote unquote inflation because of a regime change. You know, you've got a difference in political philosophies and, and just ideas on on taxation and different things like that. And because of those expected changes, you've seen a shift in in the equities market. So you've got these other forces, I think, that are driving Not the increases in those two areas. Yeah. But then when you look at just the the general economy, it 
we're not seeing the inflation. Well, when you look at the the Fed's basket of goods, we're couple, not seeing it. Right. Couple things I'll throw into the hat about this topic. I mean, number one is last year's real wage inflation go through all of 2017 it was about two and a half percent. Okay. Couple that with the fact that real estate appreciated, depending on your market, between five and ten percent. So you're you have that uh, affordability equilibrium getting stretched further and further. Okay, mm-hmm. and the supply is one of the reasons why it it just continues on is that there's such a limited supply. Of the people that are willing to snatch it up, or maybe they're the people that are making more than the average hourly wage increase growth. Right, that's a part of it. I got roped into another conversation this week about how come wages haven't kept up. And, you know, I think one of the big reasons that the elephant in the room, one of the big reasons wages haven't kept up is a lot of employers have been stuck with paying really expensive health care that might have otherwise been to the pocket of the employees. So you have. Yeah, it feels like you're giving a, a healthy raise every year, but it's not to the employee's paycheck. It's, no, it's to not their, helping it's to the them in any provider. way. Right. Yeah. And so, yes, there's health care in, you know, and remember sure. for employers over 50 now, there's a mandate to this. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, when you, we keep talking about inflation, I, I start feeling these emotions that, that I get frustrated with the inflation. Things have gotten way more expensive than 1.9% for me. Definitely. Um, and healthcare is a big one of them. Um, there's other things too, though. But we, even just we, going to the grocery store. So yeah. a typical trip to the grocery store for my family um, entails us filling up a shopping cart, right? The shopping cart's full. It's not mounted over. It's not crazy. I don't have two shopping carts. I've got one full shopping cart. I used to ring that up. 200 bucks. It's about 200 bucks. Now that full shopping cart, it's 300 bucks. I mean, that's inflation. That's my basket of goods. Those are the goods that I, as a consumer, yeah, buy but on a unless, weekly of course, or, you haven't switched but we, to all Dan, you missed the memo. <laughs> um, we, we like to look at inflation now minus food and energy. Those things are volatile, buddy. <laughs> So for all those that don't right. eat or travel uh, or rely on transportation anyway, um, inf- inflation is tame or non-existent. Um, I, I long-time listeners of the show know this. I get frustrated with the fact that things are coming in smaller packaging. Yeah. You put more air in that bag with that food. You cut the back of my bar of soap out to be this bizarre concave thing that I'm missing 30% of the soap <laughs> I used to get for the same price. Does anyone use that last 30%? I, I got to believe I do, fed. down to the bitter end. <laughs> that little, I'm, I'm in there trying to do a one-finger uh, wash right, with a right. quarter-sized <laughs> piece of soap. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get too hung up on... The size of products. I got to believe the Fed is looking at price per oh, ounce Dan, or something. Oh, Dan, you no, have no, no, a no. reputation hey, hey, of being an finish. ice cream eater, and you know you used to get a I half know, gallon, and you now think, you're getting like you a You think these really gallon. smart people are evaluating price trends and not noticing the difference in size of the package? I'm going to say no. They they do notice. They're Blind smart people. Blind eye. No. Blind so eye. So here's – I don't get too hung up on this because as long as the – the the metric is calculated in the same way all the time. It's really just a, a, a relative measure. It doesn't mm. matter that they're excluding food or energy. I mean, I guess it it can if those are the things that are really moving and affecting people's day to day lives. But in general, I think as long as the the measurement is done in the same way, it's it's telling you how it relates to past periods of time. And I think that's the important part of that measure. And it's not moving, um, although the things that 
have been excluded are the things that are moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would so. even motion that the game's changed altogether and the, and the formula needs to change. We've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> I'm uh, going to spend this commercial break right now uh, reading this fine article I just found about how the government has changed the yardstick for measuring inflation. Mm. Um, I think you're wrong, Dan. Okay. You're going to have to cite your sources and all that stuff. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. It's uh, 9.33. Got three people in here, so there's lots of it's stuff to talk about. It's getting warm. A lot of opinions. Hot air. Coffee ready. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is, we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018 DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
We uh, we are live. This is the live last live show of 2017. If you'd like to participate in today's show, we'd love to hear from you. 543-8830. 543-8830. It's extra live today because there are three of us. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, true to my promise, I'm just reading this um, this report here and, and granted I, I don't know anything about the source so i'm just taking it at face value deciding whether or not i think there's i looked it up um listen to this one though <laughs> change number three in 1999 the consumer price index began using product product substitution as part of the process this simply means that as prices go up consumers will substitute their originally desired product with an alternative example if your family loves steak and the price of steak goes up, the government believes your family will stop purchasing steak and buy a hamburger instead. So if the price of steak and hamburger both go up, steak can be removed from the index and replaced with hamburger. Even if hamburger now costs the same of the price of the steak before the increase, the index would show no change in inflation since the product was substituted, your costs are unchanged potentially. So there are things like this where just never allowing, for all the years, never allowing product substitution in the inflation measure, making a the government making a determination about what the consumer would accept as their desire or their alternative, changing in 1999 the process by which inflation uh, is measured. Well, yeah, but now we're debating utility and the value of hamburger versus steak. And what if I own a cow? Let's call this cow Lucy. And I don't like to eat steak. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know no, I don't know what you're saying. I mean, you can't you can't just factor that you can't just slide that in and say that therefore impl- inflation doesn't exist because hamburger hasn't gone up in price and steak is and steak. I has. mean, I agree that I a found, rational family would likely substitute a very expensive steak for some lesser expensive meat. Yet, I found that I feel like when you're measuring inflation, you want to see what the steak cost yesterday versus what the steak cost today. That's inflation, right? I got to read a paragraph right now um, that will cause the final eye roll for at least you two. The, the, uh, well, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think we both you. just agreed with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> no. He just wants to listen, see the eye roll. Right, he just, no, yeah. listen to this, though. <laughs> Argument for the sake of arguing. Feels good. Dip, I'm going to ask Feels you to dip good. your toe into the conspiracy theory here. Um, historical <laughs> consumer price index chart reveals how inflation has been controlled to become more predictable over the last 30 years. The government has good reason. Many of its largest expenses are tied to the CPI index, including Social Security. It's basically hmm. – the website Shadow Stats, I don't know if that's legitimate or not, has estimated that the 2010 CPI index currently calculated at 1.5% would show an inflation of 4.8 and 8.9 if it used the pre-1990 CPE method and the pre-1983 methods respectively. So there's a if you very if you want to dip your toe into the conspiracy theories, why manipulate how uh, inflation is actually related to the people? Well, if you're struggling with your cost of living increases over time, one of your greatest expenses as the government, that motivation might be to keep inflation looking tame so that you can't actually be forced into giving cost of living adjustments for the people that are struggling with putting that Dan the same amount of goods in the cart. So that's where anyhow. you really that's where you really see it though. You don't see it in cars so much like you can somehow get these great cars 
for reasonable monthly payments. You can get a mortgage for a reasonable monthly payment. But yeah, when I go to the grocery store, I'm always like, Jesus, Rhonda, did you just charge me $330 for the same amount of food I bought two months ago? For well, interesting thing about cars, though, I I agree with you. If your focus is is primarily on the monthly payment, well, the yeah, lease, the lease the option, yeah, yeah, they exactly. used to be car loans were two, three, are large five years. purchases. We're buying, you know, organic lettuce. I'm like, eh, whatever. It's I met with this a uh, dollar more. I met with an architect yesterday uh, that's helping with uh, um, some tenant improvements for us, and he was like belly aching to me how this. I mean. This truck is like ridiculously nice. This is like a house payment. This thing's eighty thousand bucks. And I'm, like, yeah, that is like a house payment. You're insane <laughs> in Baylor, Texas. So, while I agree that the product substitution methodology of calculating a inflation, I don't like that. When I think of inflation, I think how much was this product yesterday? How much was this same product today? That's inflation. Or a measure of inflation. So I don't like that. But what I what I heard from you is we've had changes in the 70s and the 80s. And the most recent one, it sounded like, was maybe around 90, 99. 99. 99. So since 99, back to what I was saying, is we've at least had the same methodology. So for the last 17 years, while... I mean, you may or may not agree with how they're doing it. They've been using this, the same methodology. So again, it's a relative measure of the cost of goods... And you can see how today's prices relate to those I'll agree from with you. the year 2000 on. I'll agree with you on that. The only thing like I would... If, but that product substitution thing kind of manipulates it. If we stuff. had the opportunity to sit down with the people that are like responsible for this, I have a question for you. Um, that cute little, like, what are those, uh, the mini Coke cans now that are like mm-hmm. eight ounces. six or eight ounces? Yeah. Uh, are we lining that up next to what used to be the six pack of twelve ounce cokes? Um, and I don't. I, I would mean, hope not. I mean, but I don't know. Any reasonable person would but, see. There's but clearly truly, a though, in there's those things where you and you, you, everybody that buys anything has to agree with this. They've started. There's products that just the product price is the same, but you're getting thirty percent less in the pack. Right. And I'm going to suggest that. You know, if you own a factory that's packaging Kleenex and you're like, hey, in order to keep the this company alive and pay these wages and do this stuff, we have to raise profits by 18%. What's the most obvious way to raise profits by 18% other than pushing the price up? Cut the size. Remove 18% of uh, the cost sure. of the product and sell it for the same price. And you just made – you gave the company the raise. So, yeah. and. You're going to have a hard time convincing me the bean counters at the Fed aren't noticing that, though. They probably are. But at the same time, can they chalk that up to going, well, here's the, yes. Technically, Coca-Cola made a six-pack. The formula is changing. Here, and this is the problem with it all, and this is why there's only one true measure of inflation, and it's the PNC Christmas Index. Hmm. That's just it. I mean, that's all there is. It's what we really need to hang out on. Because when you're measuring the price of a partridge in a pear tree, you can't substitute that for a robin in no. an oak tree. No. It's just you don't do that. Nobody you would. always are looking at a partridge in yeah. a pear tree, and uh, or right. Lord's a leaping. Exactly. I mean, what will yeah. it cost me in 2018 right. for Lord's a leaping? What am I looking for? Well, you know that's a great question. Um, Let's go in order. Because of there order. were some higher wages. You know, the ten Lords a leaping did see about a two percent increase. Tracked the wage Seems about right. growth okay. for the year. Um, By the overall, way, how many lords are leaping? 
Ten. Lords Ten of them. Yeah. Ten. I mean, that's a that's an increase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean those ten lords of leaping, they uh, they earn collectively fifty six hundred dollars for this gig that they're doing. But how much did their group insurance go up? Uh, you know, it's probably about twenty percent. It would be my guess. The uh, the entire um, Christmas gift, all the gifts in the Christmas uh, index here went up by point six percent year over year. Um, the the things that really drove the cost higher were the cost of pear trees. Mm-hmm. Pear trees were up. Increased well, demand for gold rings. Um, let's gold's see. hot right yeah. now. It's a commodity. The precious metals up about 11%. So that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, we talked about wages and those lords of leaping. Got the maids of milking. You know, there's a lot of Anything lot of tied to labor issue. or commodities up, right? Yeah. Let's see. The core CPI... Um, was up point nine percent. Exclude oh, but they're excluding oh because they exclude those uh, the volatile ones. <laughs> Who got excluded? <laughs> they exclude unpredictable swan prices instead of food and energy costs. <laughs> so the core Christmas index rose point nine percent. Wait, how much did the swans go up? It's unpredictable. It's so unpredictable. Were they even available in the marketplace this year? I don't Let's know. Let's be honest, though. You know those swans are volatile. <laughs> it's always a fun index, but I mean, this arguably could be a better indicator of of what prices are really doing. You know, there's no substitution going on. Damn. The metri- you know, we're not changing the size of the swans. Or Jan- I don't even Janet, know. Janet Yellen, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm guessing if there's uh she listens every week. Yeah. <laughs> I in. talked to a borrower this week that um I I bet she doesn't listen to the show, but anyhow, I I'm not poking fun at her in any way. But she called me up and she said, Ah I this reverse mortgage I desperately need out of. I hate it. And I gotta do this. She goes. I know the uh, the the feds are raised the interest rates this week. I know they did that, and you know Janet Yelpin tells me that it's going to be a few days. They're going to delay it before it's actually going to hit us all. So I just want to get something done before that happens. Um, so that's funny. Um, <laughs> yelling, yelling, and I don't recall anything. Uh, in the comments that made me think there would be any delays before implementation yeah, to give that you that final that, <laughs> right now gavel dropped yeah i will say here the next la- day it last happens. last point on the uh the christmas index is that um from about 1995 until 2013 the um the cost of these gifts collectively was was increasing at a pretty pretty rapid pace at the i'm looking at like not quite a 45 degree angle here on the graph dan has a graph and then since 2013 to today the last four years it's really flattened out a lot so inflation uh, in the last four years according to this christmas index has has plateaued more or less for the last four years Interesting. Do you think that's because families no longer are going after swans and are going after like quail or something? I was going to suggest that because now as many more lords are doing CrossFit, to find yourself a a lord willing to leap and able to leap is just more of, I bet some of them are leaping pro bono. 
Yep. I think that's probably now it's more um, like a box jump, right? Tying it Lords back, of yeah. box jumping. That doesn't fit in the measure. The bars. I was thinking of your box step again and <laughs> your box trot. Yeah, the yeah. box trot. <laughs> <laughs> This is fun. Yeah. Now, I know that, now I know why you always do this to me every week, Dan. Yeah. Dan likes to uh, wait for me to to make some sort of a misstep verbally, and then he'll. Uh, it's like a comedic element of his to tie you back to that multiple sure. times throughout the uh, deal. It's almost like parenting. Mm-hmm. What I would say though is is just terrific about the three of us being here is that we do get to have these different conversations, whereas. It's not that it doesn't happen when there's two of us, but I just like sitting here in the middle listening to you guys debate and being able to <laughs> make up in my mind. I'm almost listening, but I'm on the show. Yeah, and good. I, and, you know, what I what I would like to just add to this discussion is that inflation is going to do what it does. We we have a duty as as the American people to, you know, learn what it's doing, but the feds have the real duty to hamper it. Um What's going on globally, though, is really what I think is keeping our mortgage rates low is that, you know, if you look at Germany, things going on in Eastern Europe with their economies and their quantitative easing, it's really, really difficult for an investor to throw money at the bond market that's yielding less than half a percent. And they'll just throw money at our 10-year treasury note. I mean, why not get behind an economy like the U.S. that's doing well? That's yielding a 2.4 10-year note. And with all that money coming into our bond market, it keeps those rates low. Because as more money comes at the bond market, the rates will stay lower. That's just a micro, That's just an economic fact. Your comment's so spot on and so timely. Yesterday, we were having a year-end review with our financial planner at Blakesley & Blakesley. And we were talking about this very issue. We were talking about inflation and and just having a just getting an opinion um, about where where he sees inflation going. And a lot of the discussion went back to some of these European countries and really economies around the world. That Truly, Shanghai. There are so many that are still markets, experiencing negative yeah. interest rates. As he was talking, I pulled that up. Um, according to BBC right now, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, and Japan, um, and these countries currently have negative interest rates. So there's still Just a lag behind that. in the global. Yes. And by the way, if some of you guys are going, wait, what, what's negative interest rates? This is literally Tell us. give your government $100 for whatever sovereign bond they need to issue. And at the its maturity term, you'll get back 99 bucks. But, so we, there's but actually, you'd probably lose more if you kept it. Yeah, there's a fee to basically lease that money to the government that is it's going to cost you money. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and one of the things that we started talking about during that meeting is that um, I think the U.S. Ha- it has almost sort of tempered some of the movement we would be making in an effort to just sort of play nice in the global sandbox. I totally agree. We're not going to race I away totally and agree. start offering 5% yields on things where these other countries are still at negative one. Um, those other countries, like you said, when, you, when you're when you in Japan and you're like, hey, we could buy this, this Japanese bond that's going to give us a negative yield or... Uh, skip across the pond and buy some U.S. debt that's going to pay, you know, two and a half percent, something like this. Obviously, that investor is going to be looking at that that um, 
that U.S. bond, that it's that safe investment vehicle yeah. where you're also preserving your principal. Well, and the bond market's so different than equities. And so really the hedge is if America fails and starts going backwards, I'm going to sell my bond at a premium. Well, and I've everybody else's too, right? If if you if the U.S. is going to fall back into that financial rut and cause what we know now, um, I guess this is probably being studied by some folks smarter than we are. But uh, these recessions each time get more and more global. Mm-hmm. Didn't we learn that from mm-hmm. this last one? Yep. Um, th- this globe is shrinking financially, and we're learning more and more how tied we are all together. Um, I re- Why else would we care about Grexit? I mean, I. I would love to go to Greece. I think it's going to be fantastic when I go there. But on my day-to-day, I'm not thinking about the Grecian economy. But I have to. I literally have to. If As the, the European Union starts to have ripple effects and problems, not only geopolitically is that an issue, it's a financial issue. Well, and this is one of the reasons why we've enjoyed the low rates that we have is that when there's turmoil everywhere, money moves into the bond market. And these mortgage-backed securities, and it's kind of bringing this conversation full circle here, these mortgage-backed securities really follow that 10-year bond because that's, yep. yep. that's that window of time that looks beyond the horizon of recessions and periods of great growth and all these things. Um, and we we kind of see that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I What time five. is it? You got five minutes. Where's the clock? Behind. <laughs> Check the runner. I was going to, um, let's use this five minutes. I want to tell you something else about inflation. Yeah. Um, you guys probably saw this. Um, I know Dan did updated some of our closing cost scenarios. Um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. recording. Yeah. 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 The recording fee went up like crazy. You guys know why? Um, California passed Senate bill number two, which was the, uh, building homes and jobs act. And, um, basically, they're, under this law, there are programs providing assistance for emergency housing, multifamily housing, farm worker housing, homeownership for the low and very low housing in uh, households, down payment assistance for first-time home buyers. Um, yeah, new law came out saying, hey, the haves need to throw a little bit more money in the direction of the have-nots. And so they added um, these additional recording fees that are going to affect after the first of the year. Um They are uh, a new recording fee at minimum $75, not to exceed $225 per transaction uh, for the recording of documents. Interestingly enough, purchase transactions are excluded from the new cost. So if you're ex- if you're buying a new home, you don't have to pay the fee that goes into the kitty to provide housing opportunities for these other people. So basically, it's another penalty on refinancing homeowners that are um, doing a, a recording transaction with their title um, or doing a new loan, things like that. So um, we changed our closing cost scenarios from. has been the historical estimated. Yeah. Yeah. And usually, you know, it used to be that it was like 10 bucks a page. It wasn't, it wasn't uncommon that we saw $113 would be the actual final invoice charge. Um, but now we have, we have it estimated that it could go as high as $400. That's that. That's like the high end cap. Worst case scenario. Right. Mm hmm. 
So that's well. You have so to think. Let's just step back expensive. and talk about this academically for one second, okay? If you the so the goal with this cost is to promote and let's say finance to a certain degree more affordable housing, correct? Yep. So the for, the more affordable housing will need to get built. It's not like we're going to say this neighborhood's now affordable housing. It needs to be built, and then it needs to be bought, which means it needs to be purchased. And so, and the microeconomics would say you don't add a cost to the actual act that you're trying to, you know, grow. I mean, why would you add a cost to a purchase if you're going to try to support affordable housing? This cost, if it's removed from the purchase activity, then just becomes a, a community cost. I guess I just out over other transactions, and maybe my opinion would talk about there would change the more we talked about this. But I have a general resistance to okay, we have to levy a fee to fund this other program. Um, my personal just gut reaction: they didn't want the fight from the association realtors. NAR and CAR are the biggest lobbying organizations in all of our industry and beyond, and. Get they that. get pissed, and get they're that. well motivated. They they well funded. They're a huge trade union in the U.S. Yep. and they literally want to stand and block everything that might have a perceived negative impact on somebody's ability or willingness to buy. Right, and so I could imagine that when these guys all sat down, they say, "Hey, let's." Let's keep this vocal group out of this and just put it on to anybody that refis instead of buying. Um, and one of the issues that I have with it is, you know, there's there's plenty of people that are low income and moderate income that are trying to refi. They're the ones trying to get out of their mortgage insurance. They're the ones trying sure. to stretch their term back out to 30 years to get a lower payment. Um how about why didn't we cap this on homes over seven hundred fifty grand? Oh, it could be for purchasers yeah. of mansions only. So anyhow, guys, it's time for I'm the top of the hour commercial break. Us. We have about five minute break, and we'll be back with a whole another hour of mortgage matters. Hope you'll stick around. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. That's a 
lot more energetic than I'm prepared to be. Right now. <laughs> Serious major chords there. Can you believe? Yeah. The guys that gave us Mbop. Hanson. Hanson. <laughs> it's actually really good. Oh, I've heard the whole song. It's really good. Yeah, this just makes me feel old, Jim. Yeah. None of them even have ponytails anymore. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Apparently the drummer does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't lost the hair yet. Yeah. We're back for the yeah. final hour. Mortgage Matters. Once again, this will be the last show of the year. Live Listen, show. Last live show. Gosh darn it. I messed it up again. Um, last live show of the year. We'll have reruns next week in the final week. Fine, yeah. yeah. And you bet that we're not going to play the same rerun twice in a row. We're not. No way. No, we got to discuss Can't that. Can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> you got to figure that out. You've been listening the first hour. If we struck a nerve or you want to share anything to the conversation, please call in. Uh, number here is... Five four three eight eight three zero again five four three eight eight three zero. If you're in Germany listening and you want to mention anything about uh, the <laughs> European markets, the eight hundred number is eight hundred five four nine five eight three two. And if you're in Germany, that's probably not going to work. You're going to have to dial a few more digits. Some to more country reach code us in there. here yeah. <laughs> in the old United States. By the way, we're going to have to remember to mention in the next few weeks eight zero five five four three. Oh right, that's mm. right eight eight three zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the old eight two zero making its way in, huh? Right, that's some high quality eight two zero. So uh, you were talking about inflation in the mortgage arena. Talked a little bit about the recording fee going up. I mentioned it last week, but it's worth mentioning again. Cost of credit reports is going to be going up by about thirty five percent next year. Mm. Uh, nominal fees tacked on by in a lot of different areas, but in total, these pennies add up and it's going to be about a nine, you know, a $30 credit report is going to get a lot closer to $40 next year. Um, mm-hmm. So you, that's just another increased cost in the mortgage transaction. And also something that it doesn't have to be done on every loan, but a, a high percentage of loans, it's the verification of employment. Um, so for anyone that has... Um, has employment that needs a little more detail in order to calculate. Uh, we have to go directly to the employer to get them to complete a form. Sometimes there's a third-party service involved. But anyways, those, uh, those verifications of employment when using the third-party service, those costs are going up a few bucks, maybe about 10% or so. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Little, little increases all around in the mortgage world. Indeed. I noticed that my Uber drives are getting more expensive. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because they're picking me up later in the day or just because they want to charge me more. But that's my two cents on inflation. <laughs> yeah. Where are you going on Uber? Well, the other day I got picked up and it was later. I had been out at a Christmas party and this guy halfway home says, hey, I need to pick up someone else. Is that okay? And I was like, well, I mean... uh, Sure. They were getting cut in half at this point? <laughs> yeah, sure. And he drove all around and then dropped me off last. And halfway through, I was like, hey, how come we dropped her off first? And he's like, oh, well, she's just, you know, in between your stop and the other stop. And I was like, well, no, we picked her up in between my stop. And he was he didn't really have an answer. Who was your that. Uber driver? Was it that mortgage guy in town? No, no. But I. I Why are you I, shaking your head at me? I surely didn't. I, I didn't sh- say his name. I surely didn't give him 
Three stars. No. No. Did you put a review on there? This guy no. took another client through the Taco Bell drive-thru on my ride? I'd be okay with the Taco Bell drive-thru. I'd get some value out of that. <laughs> Anyways, I think it's. I think that the, the what I was trying to insert into this conversation is that you really do want to watch what's happening this upcoming year with um, you know the GDP. And if rates start, they they predict that the Feds predict that they should raise rates three times again this year. Um, and what that tells me is that they're not really worried about a recession coming. They're more interested. Or are they? I don't think they are, Jason. I really hey. don't. Nice, though. Nice, though. We're in a position now, and, and this is something that a lot of people don't think about. The Fed's job is also to back us out of rates if a recession hits to turn, let's say, turn the saute pan up again. Right. So now we've got about a one, we have a one and a half percent buffer on top of zero. It's too low. It's too low as it sits today should another recession strike. So maybe you have to run through a bunch of economic data and signals that are maybe suggesting otherwise, and you have to keep raising those rates just in an effort to get back to normal so that you have that tool to deploy if you need it. So then the recession will happen at that point. Maybe, maybe not. 2019. I don't know. But um, I definitely think it's – I'm convinced that at least part of the rationale with the Fed is we have to figure out how to normalize these rates Mm -hmm. sooner than later because we cannot – afford to not have this tool ready when it's time. Absolutely. Imagine getting instructions on how the parachute works when you're falling. That's not that's not I'd a good them. that's not a good plan. Well, I mean, sure you'd take them. You'd probably be yelling, "What?" But you'd be saying, "Okay, this one? This one? This one? No, that's the zipper." <laughs> but you you know, you have to so we talked about what's happened. I, I think in this last hour here it makes sense to it's prudent to predict if you will what's coming and i and i just i just don't think that we're in a position as a us economy to see a recession happen recession recession happen oh. and and i say that because gdp is on point now if you will and you know little things things that people don't talk about enough 85,000 manufacturing jobs have come back to the united states i mean that's a big deal and there's going to be if if wages can go up more than the ridiculous amount of wages that went up for the ten lords of leaping, then we should see. That's only two percent. Yeah, I mean, we're not getting two percent right now on wage increase. Who's actually the what are we the at? last reading was a two point five increase year over year, so slightly outpacing inflation. Is that staying up with cola cost of living adjustment? What's the cost of living adjustment? It's supposed to be. Th- Three, right? I mean, that's what it, that's oh, what I was yeah, told no. at one point. Three is about what? Well, the target range is between two and three percent for the Fed. So, the well, as far as inflation goes, and you at least want wages to keep up with inflation, correct? Um, and you would want that if wages were already ha- if they had already been keeping up with inflation, but we know we they haven't like since years. like the year two thousand or something. So, yeah, it's. It's frustrating. There's also this whole interesting thing in the wage, um, it, the wage growth side that I think is hard to measure, hard to 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 infer from that 
reading is because that of exiting there's baby the changing boomers. of the guard if you will yeah. there's the older yeah. more expensive employees that are retiring and there's a lot of them because that baby boomer population is so large sir and they're being replaced by a younger generation that doesn't require as high of a salary at least in these earlier years i mean eventually as we all get older we all need a little more money to to live and and that but that's just kind of the the way it works. So there's that replacement of wages that I think might be artificially keeping the wage thing low. Yeah. But it's hard to measure. I don't think that's a component that's really looked at. It has to be. I mean, when you have a a 31-year-old replacing a 64-year-old in their position, it's just natural, I think, for the employer to take an opportunity to make a spread in profit, pay them less, you know, they're going to work their well, way the up new, over years. The new person's new to your business. They need to learn. So, you you know, there's yeah, a cost I was, to bring I'm that person sitting up to here, speed. I'm sitting here thinking there's a handful of things about this that um, you guys may just be missing. Um, number one is that new employee, that young employee, that um, those are the guys they miss a lot of work. Too. They need training. They need time off. Their friends are getting married and they're going on vacation and they're having babies and they got things going on. The real sweet spot to a lot of those employees is the part where the kids are out. Kind of everything's gone on. They're in their 40s, 50s, early 60s. They're really dependable. They don't need training. They show up all the time. They do a really great job. There's a ton of efficiency with that guy. And while it may transfer, you know, a little bit of the logic in terms of what your uh, average wage is by age group or whatever, I, I'm not convinced that that's as big of a part of it. I really feel like the biggest part of the thing um, is it's the cost of having employees today and also the cost of being in business. If you go and look at commercial rents have gone up too. commercial real estate has gone up too. there's a scarcity of a lot of commercial space in many of the markets around now um and by the way that's another challenging thing is that increased property value also hampers an employer's ability to expand open a new office and instead of spending that extra money on those that that property or they're now spending it on the property instead of giving those raises so that's part of it um the yeah, other thing are new things no, i mean it's increasing not, rents and incre- increasing costs not, in general isn't a new thing i don't think that's necessarily a new thing but the other thing that you got to remember too is that um you know when you were little like before your work years how many times do you think your mother called for customer support and got punched up to somebody in india that was willing to help her um, the technology has made things cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's made labor cheaper. It's spread this out around the world. And it's made it also where think about consumers. I was thinking about this just yesterday. Um, you have now, um, there's downward pressure on darn near everything. Like you're, you want to buy something. What do you do? You used to walk down to Ed's in town and say, sure. oh, Ed, I need a new washing machine. It was The washer failed, yeah. you know, and we we repaired it for the last time. What's the newest model? Where today, those options are everywhere, up to and including someone will overnight you one. And so now everybody competes. I right. think margins are as squeezed as they've ever been. Um, consumers have more access to more goods than they've ever had. Right. And when you have... 
all of those margins are being pinched and pulled in all of the old ways, but all of the new ways too, guess what? You don't have the money to be able to pay your employees the raises that they want, mm-hmm. um, the raises that they need just in order to keep up, right? So that's a- There's like this imaginary line when your salary gets when – when that line item on your ledger gets to a certain dollar amount, you just think, I got to outsource. So no longer is it – or not, not just outsource to India or outsource globally, just like who, who can I hire to do this for less? Right. Who do I not have to pay workers' comp to? Who do I not have to pay health insurance for? And unfortunately, the employer is kind of stuck in the middle of that. Hey, I, here I am. Well, and all the I'm while, working really hard. And all the while, you need to get your good or service to market to compete with a, a bunch of highly accessible Absolutely. competitors. And so squeezing that margin is going to trickle down into not having the same kind of lush benefits. I mean, think about like my grandpa has a pension that he got from a private company. You know how they funded that pension? On profit margin. How many companies, private companies there are funding pensions? They don't have the profit margins to do it anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a, mm-hmm. you know, the only way you're going to get super lucky, work for a company that has like a stock option or something for you where, you know, either that or you're just, you're going to have to be the old fashioned way of saving for yourself. I can't tell so you that, how many millennials. But that's profit margin, right? Right. I mean, whether you're a cabinet shop or a shoe salesman, that's profit margin. The, the, the coffers aren't left fat and overflowing today because there's so much viable competition where you can get these things delivered to you the next day for cheaper than you can buy it right down there in town. I have a great example. We That's went, capitalism. We went to get some contacts from uh, the local optician in town. The contacts were 60 bucks, And so just being – I this – I kind of felt disappointed in myself after this happened. But anyway, the contacts were 60 bucks, And I was like, man, I, I got LASIK a few years ago. My contacts were always 24 bucks a box. That's not – they weren't 60 bucks. So we called Costco, you know, because you used to go to Sears. Well, Sears is done. The, op, the optical at Sears is gone. Um, the opti- optometrists around town have been fewer and fewer. So we called Costco. Hey, how much are these contacts? Costco's contacts are twenty nine ninety nine. Wow. The optometrists that we have in town are 60 bucks. Right. So when we went to pick up the contacts from the optometrist, we were supposed to get like six boxes and say, you know what? We're only going to get three because that's what the insurance will pay 100% of. I'm going to be forced to buy the rest from Costco. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, how much are they at Costco? So they're 30 bucks. He called his supplier. His cost receiving them was thirty two ninety nine? So he Dang. said, I can't even match their price without paying 10% to give you these. It's a recipe for going out of business. And look at that. And like I said, I was a little bit disappointed in myself after that. It's like, yeah, I forgot. Like, you're a local business. That's a, you know, I understand that. But they're... this is the market that we live but in. If wages aren't going up, right? You got to make decisions stores, internally. Well, yeah, and my overhead in my house is not cheap. Like Dan say, you know, you got your basket of goods. Dude, I got two baskets of goods every time we go. We're a big family, and I got teenage boys, and they got hollow legs. And, you know, yeah, we're conscientious about price, but it, it's a it's a frustrating thing when you realize that that these feeding troughs of these online retailers and these big box stores, companies like Costco that mm-hmm. have this membership platform mm-hmm. where they can literally cut the throat of competition in town. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all kind of going to those feeding troughs almost out of necessity. 
And the problem is, is that it's cutting out that ability of those small businesses to remain. So what happens once the Costco kills everybody else in town? Well, guess what they're going to do? And raise the profit margins, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's one of those. It's just a, it's kind of a vicious cycle. I think that's why wages aren't going up. Here's something from our Fed Chair Janet Yellen in the press conference that followed the Fed announcement on Wednesday. She spoke to this issue of wage growth or lack thereof. She did. Um, she cited that given the softness in wages and the low path of inflation, said it could take a longer period of a very strong labor market before inflation finally gains traction. And although we're at a 4.1% unemployment rate, which is below their long-term projections or goals, right? They four and a half, I can't, I think is kind of where they want to be. Um, she stated, let's see here. She did not describe the economy as being at full employment, but rather in the vicinity of full employment. So kind of different, right? You, usually anytime we're below 5%, that's, been accepted as at full employment that three to five percent range but now here we are sitting just above four percent and she's saying we're not quite there yet um Mm -hmm. she went on to say that unemployment will have to come down even more before full employment is reached so you know we had been we've been discussing here for probably a year and a half or more that while we're below five percent we're we're in that range that's always generally been accepted as full employment. So now we're expecting to see wages start to grow as employers compete for those different employees that are all employed because we're we're in that full employment area. But, you know, maybe we haven't seen that wage growth because we're we're not at a true full employment in today's by today's standards. Right. You guys would love probably to debate this too, but you know, there's also been a change in the way that the unemployment rate is calculated. Um, <laughs> I knew that was coming. It happened in the last decade. It's really true, though. It is true. Um, we saw it first, and, and draw your conclusions about who you think it benefits or why. But one of the reasons the um, unemployment rate changed um, is that we tried to cut out a little bit of underemployment. We also tried to cut out people that were sort of um, long-term unemployed. You know, you got bumped into a retirement bucket that after being unemployed, I think it went to be after being unemployed for, you know, what, however many, I think it was 100 weeks or something like that. Then you got moved into the um, the retired category that you – um, it, which, by way of calculation, was the equivalent of being retired. But the problem is, you you're just unemployed. Are, you've exhausted <laughs> yeah. your ability to seek employment to the point where you've turned over every stone, and now you're just long term unemployed. So we want you out of that metric. Hey, you're messing up. You're a divisor. We don't want. You're not. Um, and yep. so there, you know. And then also the participation rate that the way that that works has changed a little bit. So there. There's some arguments to be made there that, you know, perhaps that's why you get a little bit of this double speak from Janet Yellen. We're mm. lower than what we believe the target range kind of is, but we're going to have to go more um, below that range in order to, to offset achieve this the phantom variable. Well, I, I don't think it's double speak. I think it's uh, speaking to just it's a different time now. The The world like you said, is shrinking economically and it's a different time. Right. And even a few m- meetings ago, she suggested that we may need to 
re-examine how we're calculating some of these things. That I think it's, I don't it's not think the Jason, same as it's always been. Right. I agree. I don't think Jason really meant double speak, but we we have a caller from Paso Rebels, Brad. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Thanks for calling in. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Very good. Very good. What's hey, up? I got a question. Uh, does it, and you 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 went a little bit further on it, but does it bother anybody? It bothers me tremendously when we have people that are in charge of the Fed telling us the numbers that we need to be looking for, and when those numbers are achieved, they can turn around and say, "Oh, well, maybe we're off, or maybe maybe yeah. we're we're not there." Or I mean, they, I don't think they have a clue as to what's going on anyway. I I feel like, um, I mean, as I tracked, we've been doing the show now for, you know, what, nine years, Dan, something like this? Nine, um, nine, ten years, yeah. Yeah, when we watch, uh, you know, for the longest time, like especially at the beginning of the recession and, and back in the Bernanke days, it was like, hey, here's what we're looking for. An unemployment rate that was, what was it originally, below six and a half? I, I feel like that was the first threshold that was really well, that was about. in that was to eliminate the the tarp and QE looking one, two, three. looking for inflation um, these measures and and I remember it was a real desire to being tra- bring transparency to the Fed. We right. want you to know what what levers we're pulling and what we hope they're doing, and that way nobody will be caught off guard and the market can take to to really feel like you're on firm ground with an understanding of what's going to happen and when. That inflation number was so emphasized, and obviously it's still being talked about, but basically over the last like 36 months now, we've been conditioned to believe that the inflation, while remaining stubbornly low, is no longer as significant as we used to believe it was, and we push rates now in spite of uh, an inability to achieve. That's always bugged me that that was a significant part of your message, a significant component to what we were all supposed to be looking for. And now we're, you know, we've raised rates how many times? Um, was that the fifth six. or sixth? Yeah, about six Four. times. Six, and six have, times. And now we we're being told, you know, on the plotter to look for three more next year. Um, and really, the uh, the inflation rate is still not being achieved. So it's almost like you're you're being told, hey, we're we're putting you on the a pacemaker, though your pulse is non-existent or fine. It's like, well, wait, why are we? You know what I mean? Yeah, Why I are we doing this? I it's not. I believe a lot of it is simply just you know let's 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 make it up as we go. Oh, this didn't work. Let's throw this up against the wall. This didn't stick. It, it's getting really ridiculous. I gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. It's just if you know if these people don't know what it's going to take, then they shouldn't be in charge. Well, at the same time, there's I mean there's no precedent for the way we do business today. The, right. the world economy continues to evolve. And I mean, it would be great if, if we had had this kind of connectivity throughout the world for, a you know, a millennium so that we can, you know, understand how it works and how it all interrelates. But that's just not the reality. This is relatively new for us. Well, and, and there is kind of this learn on the fly aspect to it. But I... I wouldn't suggest it, that they don't it, have any clue today, what's going it, on. It was new a year ago. It was new three years ago. We're live, we live in an ever-changing, ever-fluctuating. And I'll be honest, if we can't get people that can tell us what's going on, we get the wrong people in the office. Well, listen, I'll, I'll listen offline. You guys have a great morning. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Thanks for call, calling. Um, I, I feel like, um, you know... It, Brad obviously has a pretty strong opinion about it. He's frustrated and thinking these guys are sure. a bunch of goons. Um, 
I, Dan, I hear what you're saying a little bit. And I always, I remember a professor at Cal Poly that used to talk quite a bit about the fact that um, the United States is really um, a case study in capitalism, in democracy and capitalism, right? So here we are. Uh, I mean, what, depending on how you like to uh, read the calendar, um, we're sort of a grain of sand on the beach here in terms of a 200-year history. Yeah, we're not even a half um, of our own. Not only yeah. that, but um, you're really 100 years from the industrial uh, industrialization, the revolution here in the U.S. Um, there's still much of the world is still uh, picking up the tail end of becoming industrialized and maturing, right? I mean, we feel that in the labor markets. One of the components of capitalism has long been needing an exploitable labor force in order to keep growing. Well, every time that an exploitable labor force begins organizing and maturing, they demand condition and wages and these things. So we've we've this whole thing has been moving and evolving, and it's been a pretty short history. Um, and, um, I think like to your point, Dan, you sort of resist that sentiment a little bit more. And, and I think part of the reason is because, Hey, let's all acknowledge that this whole thing has a fair component of art rather than science. And, and maybe it's a mix of both, but, um, there isn't, there's no, uh, there's no handbook for what you need to do here. And, and some of the, the economists and his, you know historical figures have told us, hey, these are the things that work. These are the factors at play. This is how you can influence them. But hey, uh, were these people around when there's next day shipping for any product or service in the world? These mm-hmm. people around, you know, the, things have changed and evolved so much that you couldn't possibly have been prepared for this. So I'm trying to think of some analogy, and I, the best I'm coming up with off off the cuff here is like space exploration. If you're going to send some astronauts to go explore a galaxy we've never been to before. The best we can expect is that we're going to put our best people out there. They're going to tell us, all right, we're going to pull this lever and, you know, well, this is what we're hoping to see. And when they do it, they're going to say, all right, well, this is what happened and didn't quite go like we hoped. So now we're going to do this. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening here with the Fed as we're going into these. Like, I mean, even as Brad alludes to, it's always changing. So it's always kind of a grand experiment. When I look back at a few Fed chairs, too, I mean, still one of my Fed chair impressions that I just can't shake is watching Greenspan testify on Capitol Hill when he was saying, like, well, I had no idea that type alone existed. Or that um, it was so that prevalent it was so as it was. Available and popular. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like going, you're What? Mm. That's mind blowing to me. Yeah, granted, that's not the Fed's. You know, I know that's not their primary responsibility. I know, but <laughs> uh, anybody anybody paying attention should have known. And I mean, and maybe for me because we we're in the we we're in the business at that time, and we were watching the the rapid degradation of the quality of the mortgage business. Um, I just am like, wow. There, yes, it was the Wild West, and there was all kinds of problems, and we've come a long way uh, from a lot of those problems. But holy smokes, I just if these people are are supposed to be the ones that have their finger on the pulse of what's happening, you know, nationally, economically, um, there there is a lot of responsibility there. And then at the same time, I I have to agree with Brad to some degree. It's like. You know, and he started out by saying, aren't you frustrated that we're told these are the things and when they prove not to be, 
Um, I've definitely felt that sentiment. And it's not that I suggest I know how I could do it better. Uh, look, this is the same thing I usually end up saying about a lot of these complicated things is like, well, I'm glad that's not my job. Um, uh, cause I would be forced to just be doing my best. And, um, I don't know how you do it better. I don't really get, um, you know, what those avenues are that the feds could be doing better. One of the things I, I mean, I said this earlier in this show and I said it before, I really think the Fed's hand is being forced in having to normalize these rates just to get the tool back in the bag. And I think they are still a little bit miffed about how you have pumped this kind of money into the economy, carrying this kind of debt, having these kinds of crazy increases in the equities market, having you know, flat yield curves in the bond market and just all this crazy stuff that's going on. Uh, it's there. The, it's hard to connect all the dots. Um, so anyway, we, we just sit here on the radio and, um, fill a little time talking about it. Um, no dead air here. Well, yeah, we're getting ready for a commercial break. And the, the only thing I'll say about it before then is that um, the reason we pay such close attention to these things, it affects our business and our clientele. And um, to understand, you know, where the momentum is moving, how the markets are influencing us to to be able to be kind of on the cutting edge of making those decisions and helping educate our consumers, keep those decisions alive. We're not economists. No, but we have a duty as Americans and consumers to know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, sure. We make decisions based on our inferences of the information. Period. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. We got to take a break. Okay. It's 1036. We're, uh, we're going to take a break. We appreciate Brad's call. If anyone else would like to participate in today's show, we'd love to hear from you. 543-8830. That's 805-543-8830. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Call and say you love Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is, we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Loan. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960008. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. the best time of the year I don't know if there'll be snow but have a cup of cheer have a holly jolly Christmas and when you walk down the street say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet ho ho the mistletoe hung where you Nine more days till Christmas. I guess that's only eight more shopping days, huh? Oh, you can shop on Christmas Day. (laughs) (laughs) Jewelers are open. Hey, come on in. Jewelers are open. (laughs) Um, Hey, um, Mike and I did a show, I don't know, it must have been a month or so ago, and... We talked about wanting to to cover this topic and never really did. Um, but it's the end of the year, right? Getting to this point where you're getting your books done, you're wrapping up another year of self-employment, thinking about whether it's time to buy a house or mm-hmm. maybe qualify for that refi you've ever had. And so uh be a good time, I think, to to take that opportunity. Did you guys talk about it um, when you did your last show? Topic was? Just this, wrap up. this opportunity to look at uh, tax returns and do some little bit of planning, get your house in order to be able to buy something next year. I think we always touch on it. I don't think it was a major topic. I think it's a definitely a prudent topic. Yeah. Well, and a little bit changed this year too. Um, you know, it's basically what we're talking about. If you're self-employed, okay, you have take your gross receipts into the company look at all your expenses subtract deduct all the depreciation depletion you know write off your mileage write off that haircut you got to get ready for that business meeting get all we get that whittle that number down right lower your taxes as get low as they can go there, all that stuff fit it all in um there's a couple reasons why you might want to reconsider that get, and get um, advised yeah, and, and for the relevancy of our show and in in our business, um, don't do that if you want to buy a house. Don't do that if you need to refinance your house. Um, and I'm not saying misrepresent your income. Let me be really clear about this. Uh, but how many people look at their expenses and include those ones that are questionable? You know, absolutely. A meal, for example. The IRS allows you to take a tax deduction for a a bona fide business expense of a meal. Uh, It's 50 cents on the dollar, right? Well, actually, everything but your meal. Okay. So you could take two people out and do 66 cents. And on the receipt, you would want to notate who you were with. Correct. uh, What you discussed, the topic of the business meeting. Would be wise. Yeah. Keep that, all those records straight. Uh, a lot of business people just go, ah, ran out to dinner with the old lady last night. 
Thank you, Madonna Inn, $150 steak dinner. Throw that in the books. Right. Um, I understand why you do that. Most people want to pay less in taxes, right? Minimize your tax obligation. However, those are the expenses that I'm talking about. Those ones that you're taking advantage a little bit. Um, you're maybe counting more of those expenses than you probably really should. Um, maybe you want to look at that then. Um, and by the way, there are other expenses that we do add back. So um, this yep. is where it can come where we can sit down together. Uh, you know, as you're a self-employed guy, let's say you're a plumber. Okay. And we sit down together and I say, hey, uh, your your income, you know, as you guys have made a first draft is at 60000 bucks, And you really need it to be 65000 to qualify. Um, so look back at your expenses. Well, to qualify for what you want. Yeah. So look back want. at your expenses and decide, were those all legitimate? And could you sort of remove some of them in order to, A, be just a little bit more honest about what the real expenses were, but B, you'll be increasing your income. And then, um, but here's a question. This is, and this is a legitimate one. Could, is there an opportunity to mark any depletion or depreciation. Um, most plumbers would say, well, I don't know what depletion is or depreciation on my schedule C. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Well, you can ask your accountant, right? So then you ask the accountant, hey, um, my, I'm looking at my income, trying to figure something out. Do I have any qualified depreciation or depletion? If so, that can be uh, accounted for, which would lower your taxable income, but that's a, something that we can add back in. So, uh, and again, and I'm not suggesting that we that we manufacture this number if it's not actually a true one, but sometimes just s saying, you know, hey, do you have this? Do you have that? Might open up a a, a strategy or a dialogue with an accountant well, that might lead to something that would benefit everyone. It's absolutely true, and here's what happens: accountants get in a different box than we're in. They're thinking, how do we minimize your legitimate tax liability? Okay, well, you bought a car two years ago. Let's streamline it over seven years when if we're sitting there talking to them in a year where they've got more income, they can accelerate that depreciation all the way down. They can remove income that would be eligible for tax liability that we get to sit in front of our computer and add back 100% for. Yeah. So that's what I call arbitrage. That's not paying the IRS, but getting a bank to lend you money on money that you made, didn't write a check for, but wrote off. Right. And so that's one That's one scenario. People working at home. How many people say, all right, I work in my third bedroom because I'm a telecommuter. This square, legitimately, this square footage is X. And they write that off and they think, oh, well, I, I wrote that off IRS, but I guess you can't use that. My income's only four grand. No, I mean, it's, it's now it's only eight grand. But that's $4,000 you didn't think you had. That's right. And those are just tiny examples of real good advice. If I may add another advice while I've got the mic, I think companies that are S-Corps need to have more knowledge about giving themselves a paycheck. The power of a paycheck in the mortgage world is top dollar gross wages. If you have a paycheck, let's say you make $120,000 a year. Give yourself a paycheck of forty-five grand a year. Take that right off the top. That W-2, that paycheck that you bring to Jason, Dan, or I, we get to use 
before taxes. I get to use it as real money. You got 4,500, divide 4,500 by 12, there's our base income. Now you've got other expenses in the business. What's your net bottom line? Your net bottom line is, let's say it's eight grand. I get to add that eight grand back in plus the depreciation back in. What the beauty is of a pay stub is underwriters eat that stuff for breakfast. It's easy to track. It's good quality earnings. It's it's easy money. Well, but but you pay taxes on it when you get it. Right. Well, and one of the things, I mean, just from that that risk evaluation standpoint, the thing about the paycheck is that um, it's intentional. It's deliberate. It's something that you do in advance. And so, looking back the history, the historical averages of your paycheck, your W two, that part of it. It tells us that you're consistent, and it Absolutely. tells us that you're operating uh, appropriately. When somebody doesn't have a paycheck, especially if they're an S-corp, it's like, okay, well, you don't really understand what you're supposed to be doing, and now here you are in kind of a half-baked state mm-hmm. looking for a loan, asking for money, um, and that's really the purpose of this conversation is to say – there's an opportunity at the end of each of these tax years before you file. You're getting your books together. You're getting things ready. You're going through. You're sorting it out. Um, you can issue a pay stub today uh, that has tax withholding. Create a pay stub. Looks like it existed all year. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you pay the taxes that are due and you set that up, you'll have the correlating W-2. Um, that's perfectly okay. So this time of year creates an opportunity for people that want to have that dialogue. Yep. Another one of the things that I I was going to say that this changed this year is um, we used to be able to do one year tax return for most anybody. Um, and this year, if you're self-employed, there's a new rule this year. You have to be self-employed for five years in order to qualify on one year tax return. Just That's a new year. rule. Yep. Um, so if you've been self-employed for five years, okay. uh, there's a possibility that you could File a 2017-1040 that depicts a different story than the than the preceding years and be able to qualify with that on its own merit. So there again, yep. and yep. and I I just want to reiterate, I'm not suggesting that we're trying to architect some deceiving picture. What I am suggesting is if you understand the consequences of your action and how willy-nilly you are about including things that maybe shouldn't be included or maximizing deductions. Mm-hmm. If you understand what you're doing, it might cause you to to report your real income the way it actually is, but to also report your real expenses the way they really should be reported. Um, and you know True. what? If you, if you have no interest in that conversation, you have no interest in buying your house or no interest in refinancing that house that you bought five years ago or something – that's fine. This conversation falls on deaf ears. My call is to that self-employed person, that business person, that person that wants a partner with a lender to say, hey, absolutely. Uh, like we were talking earlier, what's this lever do? Let me show you what that lever does. Yep. Uh, and you you use that information yourself because sometimes you share this info with a, a business person who says, you know what? I do have inventory that should be depleted. And my accountant said we could either do depletion or... Or we could, you know, do X. And we, we've always chose X because we thought it was inconsequential. It was a wash. It was one last form. Right. 
hang on, now that you know this, you might elect to stay in the depletion column because that's tax-free add-back income. That's really, like you said, those are dollars from heaven for everybody. Show enough. Um, so anyhow, that that's the call. If you want that kind of partnership, that's this is that opportunity. Speaking of calls, we've got someone waiting patiently on the line in San Luis Obispo. We've got Anthony. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Very good. Terrific. So I've got, I've got a, um, a self-employment question. Okay. Terrific. Uh, well, actually, three for qualifiers. <laughs> okay. So uh, I made about $160,000 last year uh, net, well, before, before taxes. So okay, I yeah, take a monthly yeah. draw Yep. Okay. Um, over about, around nine or ten grand um, each month, and it's been consistent for several years around that, that, that dollar amount. But at the end of the year, I have to pay mon- or taxes on money that I don't touch, the cash that I leave on hand to operate yep. my business. Mm-hmm. Are, um, are you an S-corporation? You yeah, tell us your structure. Like- hey, Anthony, can you tell us your structure really quick? Are you self-employed, partnership? No, self-employed S- LLC. Okay. LLC, okay. So that's like a Schedule C, yeah. Mm, that's well, a, it can be that's if an, he's sole owner. No, an, an LLC is a is a separate entity that where the profits of that LLC pass through on a K-1 to your um, Schedule E on your tax return? Yes, uh, or Schedule C. It's a 50-50 partnership. My, uh, my draw on the company uh, last was 161000 Of that 161000 110 was actual draw, and then I had to pay $50,000 in taxes on money that I left in the company for operational expenses, but I didn't actually take it, but right. they still taxed yep. on it. That right. was my half of the money. Right. So, do you guys take the whole six hundred sixty-one thousand, or do you take one ten of my actual draw money? Do you look at the bank statements and say this is the draw? We look. Or, so the draw. I want to clarify the draw. When you is the draw a shareholder distribution type of thing, or are you taking the draw on a paycheck where taxes are paid out of that? Um, neither. You're just, just taking a draw I, of the the existing cash from the company. Yeah. Yeah. I transfer ten thousand dollars a month out of the so business checking sh- account into my personal. You show zero W two income on your tax return. That's correct. So what we do is we'll look at that pass through income that comes to you by way of K one reporting on your Schedule E. That okay. that income we'll look at that um, that the the K one you know it it is derived from your LLC tax return, which is a net number, you know, after expenses in your business. But there are some addbacks that can be done uh, from an entity. If you have depreciation or depletion, those items can be added back. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll generally try to qualify you just on the K-1 number. If we need more income to qualify you, we'll start to look at those addback potentials. But first, we just yeah, try to look at the bottom line number. Clean. I- yeah, it's pretty clean. I, I like after all expenses, I take I take ten thousand dollars a month. So, what you actually see as my income is my income. I don't have any business expenses after that ten grand. It's all personal expenses. Okay. Um, but the only difference is that fifty thousand dollars that I still had. That you know the difference between what I actually took home and what I had to pay because it shows yeah. that fifty grand see, on my this is a, on my, my K one. This is a, one of the fundamental differences between like a C Corp, you know, a normal corporation, S Corp or a partnership where you experience the tax liability on the pass through with or without its distribution. So in other words, Correct. if you say you have two jobs 
and your your corporation, this partnership for you makes a hundred thousand bucks and you don't take any of it, you'll have a tax event on the hundred thousand bucks to you whether or not exactly. you drew any of it. Um, exactly. And then, and that's your personal tax liability. So that's the difference in really that gross income versus that net income to you. And most of the time, you are going to be talking about that net income, um, that okay. net distribution or undistributed uh, retained earning on that after-tax dollar. Um, but to Dan's point, sometimes we'll take you know your your partnership. Filing is on a form 1065. If we understand your correction, your uh, your filing correctly, so we would take your 1065, and there are peer, there are places on there that we could look at. You know, line 16A. That's the depreciation that the 1065 would experience. So sometimes there um, there are other things that can be add back and likewise pass through back to you as the individual. So. It it may not necessarily be as cut and dry as you make it sound, and um, gotcha. as, and a lot of people that are listening to this right now are going, wait, what? You know this. So <laughs> corporations typically they make income, and then they pre- they pay the corporate entity has a tax liability after expenses that the corporation actually pays, and then right. its employees, anybody that the corporation employs, even its owners or employees of the corporation are paid W-2 wages. W-2, um, right. We were thinking about doing that next next year, especially with... You, uh, you'll want to pay close attention to what happens with what comes out in the taxes. I'm actually anticipating that the pass-through structure, that S-Corp, this would do a, a subchapter S, yeah, would S-Corp, actually be... LLC, and partnership are part, all your pass-through yeah, entities. Yeah, so those ones, I think, are going to be the ones that come out ahead. So I actually think there's going to be a mad dash over the next couple of years for people that have been Switch accustoming over. to be paid on a W-2 saying, hey, okay, the, the tax code is now favoring the structure of these pass-through organizations that... The primary thing is that the tax rate doesn't include those employment taxes, right? So it, it right. cuts you down a little bit because it's deemed a passive income. So that being right. said, we'll all have to watch and see. But, you know, Anthony, when when you're talking right now, um, one of the things for me, I just got to tell you, if you go on into the slow office, for example, go sit down with Mike Points, our partner here today on the radio. This dude's well-versed in looking at this stuff. And sometimes it's nice to just be able to lay it out on the table and say, this is what we would count and why. And then that's what this creates. And then you, you can evaluate that. But just kind of initiating that and having that dialogue in, in that initial meeting can be really helpful uh, and then yeah, you make the decision. First, I'd be a first-time home buyer, yeah. um, and I don't know if that's enough income. You know, my credit score on the high end is is a, uh, about a seven hundred. On the low end, it's like six fifty. Yep. Uh, from between the three bureaus, so I You're, don't even really know if I have enough income in this area. These are the perfect. Uh, if, these are the perfect kind of stones we want to turn over for a pre-approval. You know, yeah. We so, also have to talk about assets, Anthony, and if you still owe funds to the IRS because we have to square that up. Before you get your primary residence, but Anthony, we what. gotta we gotta cut you off here because we're getting forced out. At the you. end of the show is a couple Thank minutes away. Thanks for your call. I really appreciate that. Um, I want to just remind all of you guys, just like Anthony, if you have these questions, um, you know, and and by the way, it's not uncommon for a borrower uh, like 
he knows a little bit more about even the structure of his organization than some people do. They say, well, I don't know. My accountant tells me how much yeah. taxes I owe. I get paid but here's the deal. Give us a call. The number is 543-LOAN uh, or go to the website, centralcoastlending.com. This is what pre-approval is for. Correct. And pre-approval you know, might just get you a loose game plan that, okay, well, I know I'm 18 months out. So here's what I need. Here are my action steps for the next 18 months. Fix the income, fix the assets, fix the credit, work on these things to position yourself. Sometimes you come in and we're like, hey, well, that, that will get you a $440,000 house. And you go, well, I don't want anything more than that. That's perfect. That's what pre-approval is for. So if you want that, if you're interested in that, you want to have that dialogue, give us a call, 543-LOAN. Um, Dan and Mike, last live show of 2017. Thanks. Just, yep. Thanks to the listeners. Uh, help make our business successful and hope you enjoy the radio show. We're going to take the next couple of weeks off for the holidays. Merry Christmas to everyone out there and a happy new year. Happy new year. Be safe. Thanks, we'll see everybody. see you in 2018.